Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Let's begin reading in verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it was, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he, who, and, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that Even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who's received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and and the cares of this world and this deceitfulness of riches choke the word and and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed seed on good On the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time and at that time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out 
of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out out of his treasure things new and old. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which will outlive the heavens and the earth. We're so grateful that we have it to allow you to build our lives upon it, Lord. And we pray, Father, for our hearts that we would be open to whatever your Holy Spirit wants to teach us, Lord. We're not interested in the wisdom of man. We're not interested in in the philosophies of man or self-help principles or any of these things, Father, that creep in uh, to among your people. We want your word, and we want to be doers of your word. We want to prove that we're your disciples by continuing in your word, like you said. So we yield our hearts to you, Lord. We pray that you would further conform us to the image of Christ as a result of it. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're at a point where we're looking at the kingdom parables. There's going to be seven of them. In Matthew chapter 13, in our passage today, he gives the reason, or he says in verse 35, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So this is the fulfillment of prophecies there. We're told in verse 1, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So the crowds are getting big. As I've mentioned, he's just about to start. He's in the transition period in between the year of popularity and the year of opposition. There's three. I've gone over it now. I go over it so much because I want you to remember it. There's the year of obscurity, the year of popularity and the year of opposition. That's how his public ministry is divided up. And as you get closer to the year of uh, opposition, you see more and more opposition coming, and it it comes more in the form of organized opposition. So the crowds are never going to be bigger than they are right now. And pretty soon, especially when we get to the feeding of the 5,000 and so forth, and when they start wanting to make him king by force and all of that, he starts weeding out disciples and in the sense of those that aren't truly following after him for the sake of him but what he can offer them and then the opposition starts really ramping up and so that then he he starts making his way towards the cross so these crowds are huge and so we're told they're great multitudes notice in verse two were gathered together to him so he got into a boat and he and he was over there by the sea and on, on the shore so this is the sea of galilee and it's a lake. They refer to it as a sea, but it's also la- a, it's basically a, a lake, and it's re- really big. And, and a lot of times around the lake, there's there's parts of the lake, and if you go there, you'll see how it, the embankment goes up pretty high. So he could have had all these multitudes, thousands of people sitting there, uh, even without it being in like an embankment. He could have done this because of. Uh, well, of course, being God, and he can project his voice. But in that part of the world, especially, your voice really carries. You have to be very careful what you say when you're in Israel because you can hear a long ways away. It's just the way that it is. And and we're already loudmouths, Americans. People can point us out when we go overseas. You know, they, oh, those are Americans. We can tell because there's blah, 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 loud and obnoxious and everything. That's how we are. 
And, and so you can hear every little thing. And, and, and I had some pretty interesting experiences in Israel with people hearing things. Uh, so Jesus knows that the best place for him to be so that they can hear is in that boat. And so he gets in that boat. And so they stood on the shore there so he could preach to them. And then it, we're told in verse 3, then he spoke many things to them in parable. So we're going to stop there before we read the rest of the verse and want to talk about what a parable is. A parable is, there's two words that, that, that make up the word parable. First is para, which is a preposition that means alongside. And then there's the other part, which is balo. And it means to, that means to throw or to cast. So it means to cast alongside. And basically what it's doing is it's putting something, uh, it wants, it, you want to learn something new. So they put the teacher puts alongside something you're already familiar with, something that you're not familiar with, and the, because you're familiar with one of the one stream or one thread, you can relate well to the other part that you're not familiar with. You can make correlations and better understand it. So that's why it's called um, a, a parable. And they're not new. Jesus wasn't the first to teach parables. It was very common for the rabbis to teach in parables. Of course, they never taught like him with parables at, at all. But this wasn't uncommon. And it's important for us to know as students of the Bible that parables usually only have one main point. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say that you shouldn't teach parables till you've been in the ministry for 30 years as a, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, and I'm definitely not qualified for that. But you can get in a lot of trouble with parables, especially if you're trying to make every part of the parable like a separate doctrine and, you know, you're turning things into this and that, and there's really one main point to a parable. And there's other things you can learn from it, but usually there's one main point, and that's good for us to know as Bible students. Because if we're ever in front of a teacher that has, you know, 14 points to a parable, we need to have our, our antennas up and we're, you know, testing what he says by scripture and, 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 and putting aside the things that are, that are not of, of the word of God. So now the disciples here are going to ask him why he is speaking in parables. And a parable is designed to do two things. It's, it's designed to reveal truth to receptive hearts but equally it's de- it's designed they are designed to conceal truth to non-receptive hearts so on the surface for these verses that he quotes from Isaiah we can appear that God's using favoritism and he wants certain people to understand and he wants other people to not understand and keep them deceived that's not what it's what it's really talking about it's 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 a reflection on the heart the heart is the thing that decides if they can understand the truth of it of what he's saying or or not. So whether or not you understand and yield a parable's meaning says more about you than it does the parable or the person teaching. When crops don't grow, when you're a farmer and your crops don't grow, it's usually not the the fault of the seed. It's usually something else. And likely it's the soil or something else regarding the soil. It's not usually the fault of the seed. And it's the same with spiritual truth, with the word of God. The word of God is nothing wrong with the word of God. We, we don't even have to pray for God's word to be powerful. We don't have to pray for it to be, to, you know, it, it, it's already what it is. It's already powerful. We have to pray for our hearts to be receptive, to be open to what he wants to teach us. So it has to do with our hearts. And that's why he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not merely speaking about our ears, our physical ears. It's talking about the ears of our heart, our perception. Our, you know, there's other parts where Paul talks about that, that the, the unbelievers cannot perceive spiritual things because they're spiritually discerned. But we can because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and teaching us and illuminating the truth to us. So we have to understand that as we grow in our walk, God is calling us and wanting us to grow in our capacity to receive spiritual instruction. But that is going to depend upon how our hearts are receptive, the receptivity of of our hearts. So hearing, he's going to talk a lot about hearing. He's going to talk about it 19 times in this chapter. But when he's talking about hearing, he's talking about spiritual perception, and that's always going to be guided by God's word. The more I grow in God's word, the better I discern spiritually. 
The people that are claiming to be great spiritual discerners, they're ignorant of God's word and they're, they're wrong in their assessment of themselves because they don't have the standard internalized and in part of who they are. Have you ever shared with someone the gospel? You know, you're sharing and it's just, you're, you're doing your best to explain things and make it as simple as it possibly can, can be for them to understand. And it's like talking to a wall. You just cannot get through to them. It's not your fault probably. And it's not the gospel's fault, for sure. Their heart. It's the problem is their heart. And, and, it, and it's true even beyond the gospel, even as believers, like I said, we grow in our, our capacity to receive spiritual uh, nourishment, spiritual revelation, all those things we grow. And so that can happen with us. We can close our hearts off. Some of us can testify, those of us that walk with the Lord for a while, that maybe we have had times where our, our, our capacity to receive spiritually has diminished over time because of certain circumstances and things that we've allowed to get in the way of our, our ability to apprehend his, his word and what he wants to say to our hearts. So, But that doesn't have, we don't have to remain in that condition. We can go back and we can ask him to soften our hearts and we can apply our hearts or, or posture our hearts towards him and allow him to soften us because he wants us to have tender, soft hearts that can receive any spiritual instruction that he has for us. And we're going to see Jesus teach seven parables, four of which are going to be directed to the multitudes and the other three are going to be directed to his disciples. And each of them is describing something related to the kingdom of heaven. He's coming and revealing the kingdom of heaven to, on, on earth and how it functions. He's revealing it. We have no clue about the kingdom of heaven until God decides to reveal it. You remember he said, to, he'll say this to Peter later on and we'll see it. You know, when he says, who, who, who do men say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the, you're the son of the living God. And, and the Lord Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That revelation, revelation cannot come from man. It has to come from God. That's the whole point. It come only revelation only comes from God. So we have to be receptive from God or be receptive of him and what he wants to say to us at any given time. And that reception or that revelation and that instruction comes in many different forms. His word directly, other believers, directly by his spirit to our hearts, and, and, and we have to be able to receive it well. Now he continues in verse 3 with the first parable called the parable of the soils. He says, the rest of verse 3 says, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell upon thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now we're also told in Mark, uh, and we'll get to that in the next book, that they wanted to know what this parable meant as well. They're going to ask what the, another parable means coming up, but they, they do ask at this moment what this parable means. And, and he's, he tells them in Mark, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? So that's really important. That gets our attention, right? Because this is a key, evidently, to understanding all parables, this parable of the soils or the sower, however you want to uh, name it. And there's a, there's, a, there's a Bible interpretation term that I want you to know about because this, this parable is one of those parables that sets the stage or sets a consistent standard for what certain things, how certain things are interpreted in the scriptures. It's called expositional constancy. And that means that in, in the scriptures, when something is mentioned, then it's going to be that thing for the rest of the time that we see it. And so he's going to talk about the seed, which is the word of God, the birds, and we'll get into this, which always represents workers of iniquity or the enemy in some way, and soil, which is referred to as or meaning the human heart. So he talks about the soil by the wayside, and we need to picture uh, a wheat field, especially in that time. They had pathways in between the fields. That's what the wayside 
is. There was foot traffic, and people walked on it all the time, and, and, and animals walked on it, of course. And so it's a picture of a heart that's hardened, because if you're walking on a path, you compress the dirt of that path over time. If you ever go into the fields anywhere else, I mean, even in any farmland, you step on the part of the ground that is the place where everything grows. The ground is very soft, and you can kind of sink down in it. But if you walk on the path, it's harder, and it's compressed down. It's a perfect picture of the hardened heart. So this this seed is on the soil, but not in the soil, really. Now, and then he's going to talk about the soil on stony ground, and that's where the, there was dirt on top of layers of, of rock and so forth, and the, the hearts here are soft, but they're shallow. And so the seed is in the ground, but not down in the ground. It's on inside, but not down deep in the ground. And then he's going to talk about the soil uh, crowded with thorns. It's talking about the crowded heart. So you have the hardened heart, you have the shallow heart, and you have the crowded heart. And that kind of heart or that kind of soil is where the seed is in and down, but it doesn't come up because it's, it's, being, it's competing with other things in the root system and so forth. So these are the kind of hearts he's talking about. And all of us can have those type of hearts at different times. And related to salvation, when you're, when you're sharing with somebody, God is already preparing their heart. He's already uh, working independent of you and I in drawing them to him and, and, and softening their hearts. And, and he's already probably spoken to them through other, someone else by the time we get to them. And so they're going to respond a certain way to the gospel. And, and, and that's what he's getting at. But again, it's not just limited to evangelism. It also re- relates to our hearts. Verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. So we don't, we aren't supposed to take revelation for granted. I've always said this and I'll, I'll always say it. Revelation is a privilege. Jesus said, you are not servants. You are my friends for a, a, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He reveals intimate knowledge to us, and it's a privilege. And so he's saying to them, it's been given to you to know. Notice the word given. It's a gift. It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the the New Testament definition of mystery is something that has been hidden up to now, but now it's been revealed and it's been discerned, or it's able to be discerned, because of the person of the Holy Spirit inside a born-again believer. So he's saying to them, it's, this revelation's been given to you, you have receptive hearts, you have the right kind of heart. And, and so these things that have been hidden, they've been revealed to you now because of your heart and because you have the Holy Spirit, but to them it has not been given. Verse 12, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. For whoever has what? In verse 12, it says, whoever has, what's he talking about? Whoever has ears to hear. Whoever has ears to hear, more will be given. And that's an encouragement to us as we seek him and want to learn about him and, and, and be shaped by him. He's always going to bless us with more. Sometimes when we're ministering to people, we can focus on the ones that are not receptive, that are not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, that are being stiff-necked, as the Bible says, and we can be so preoccupied with them. And the whole time, the Lord's wanting us to be faithful to them, of course, but the ones that are really receptive, that have the right heart, that are obeying God's word, that are being hungry for his word, to bless them with more. Peter, James, and John were asked to go places that the other disciples didn't go. And I believe it was because of their hunger and their hearts for the truth and for Jesus and so forth. And Jesus wanted to pour into them in ways that he didn't want to pour into the others. It wasn't that he didn't love the others or didn't want what's best for the others. It was just appropriate for him to pour even more into Peter, James, and John. And so they they got more revelation. So he says, what you have, if you don't have an open heart, whatever knowledge you have, you're going to lose. 
because you don't have an open heart for God and for his word and for truth. And those that turn away from God over time, they know less and less about God as they rebel, as they turn their face from him, as they live in willful disobedience. They start losing their spiritual insight. They start losing their capacity to understand and receive God's word. And he's referring to that. Verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. And then notice verse 15, it explains the origin of their problem. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Notice it says grown dull. That presupposes that they weren't always dull. But over time, their hearts have grown dull. So the problem wasn't God's heart and not wanting to reveal to them and give them revelation. The problem was they've allowed their hearts to grow dull over time. And also, he says, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they, notice the word they, have closed. This is all on the fault of the person. God is not saying, I arbitrarily choose you to receive revelation and I'm going to withhold revelation from you because the scripture says he's no respecter of persons. He loves everybody the same. So he's reacting to their hearts and he's honoring their hearts. You know, with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and God, if you look at the Hebrew definition, uh, Pharaoh's heart hardened his heart and then you look at the Hebrew word for what God did to his heart and it's, it's the word for set. So he hardened his heart, God set his heart. It's, it's basically, he, he further uh, uh, hardened or, or put into place what Pharaoh had already began in his own heart. So God was reacting to what Pharaoh uh, had done to his own heart. Now we're in the middle of verse 15. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So God wants for all of us to turn, that means to repent, so that I should heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are the, your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 16 says, we're blessed. We're blessed to know and to perceive and to have learned what we have learned. And we can treat it as such a non-valuable thing. We can treat God's word flippantly. And we cannot respect it. And we cannot want to live by it. And we can treat it as if, yeah, I could take it or leave it. And, and, And the whole thing, God says, you don't realize the price that has been paid and the heritage that you have and what you have now that others before you did not have. Because see, we have even a greater uh, heritage than the disciples. Because we have the early church and we have the church for almost the last 2,000 years seeing the testimony of them properly receiving God's word and acting upon it and seeing fruit in their ministries and so forth. It makes us more and more accountable. The more we see God revealing truth to people and having them appropriately respond to it, bearing fruit, the more accountable we are with our lives because God is just putting more and more examples before us that if he could do it with them, he can surely do it with us. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. He said, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the Apostle Peter is saying, Even the prophets desired to look into these things, desired to see the fulfillment. They had no idea the timing that everything would happen. They knew that they were speaking of the Spirit, but they didn't know. But they knew it wasn't for themselves, it was for us. What a privilege. God wants us to appreciate his revelation of truth and to not just know it mentally or give mental assent to it, but he wants us to live it out. 
by his grace and by his power. Verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So again, the first type of heart is the hardened heart, the pathway that was walked upon and was compacted. And then the birds would come and they would be easily be able to access those seeds because they weren't in ground, they weren't under the ground, they were just on the surface there. So they had access to it. And often people with a hardened heart, God will will allow certain things to happen in their lives because he doesn't want them in that condition. God doesn't enjoy seeing the enemy come and snatch his word from people's hearts that are that have hardened hearts. He doesn't enjoy any of it. So people that have those types of hearts that have hardened themselves against the Lord, he has a way of getting their attention. Have you noticed that? He's very good at it. And people can turn their back on him and he will allow things. And I just think of Jonah. He's, you know, he's just so hardened his heart against God's calling on his life. He knew that God would be gracious. And he didn't want God to be gracious because he didn't like the Ninevites. And God had a way of getting his attention. And he is very proficient at doing that. And sometimes the Lord has led believers to say to people, you are in rebellion to God and God loves you. He doesn't want that for you. He wants so much, so much greater things for your life. But you have chosen another path. And I want to warn you that he is going to get your attention. He's going to allow things in your life to get you to think and get you to look up. And I see people regularly that are in a state of rebellion to God. God is allowing things in their lives and they're having a lot of close calls. A lot of close calls with family members, with themselves, and just by the skin of their teeth, they're saved from it, and they don't get the point. They don't get the understanding that God is trying to get their attention, that his relationship with them is so much greater and more important than anything else they can imagine, and he is graciously allowing them to reap what they've sown or to allow things to happen in their lives so that he gets their attention. How many of us came to Christ because God was getting our attention in some way? A lot of hands going up. That's right. He knows how to do it. So that's when we pray and we're interceding for someone that doesn't know the Lord. We need to let loose. God, make them miserable, Lord. Speak to them in their dreams. Uh, use, put people in their path. Make them uncomfortable. Do it. I mean, you're just praying, interceding for everything for God to, to do everything that he would possibly need to do to get them to turn. And those prayers are powerful. I've heard so many stories of people just like, God, just everywhere I go, I'm running into Christians. And, and everywhere I'm turning on the TV, and I think it's going to be ESPN, but it's not. It's some preacher on there talking about salvation. Or, you know, I'm, I go to a hotel, and I reach for a tissue, and there's a Gideon Bible. And then, you know, I mean, just God pursues people. I love seeing him pursue people. When we look at Luke and when he is facing going towards the cross, making a beeline towards the, towards the cross, he still ministers to, to uh, blind Bartimaeus and he still ministers to little Zacchaeus on the way. Even though he's facing the cross, he's still pursuing people even though he knows that the sin of mankind is going to put him on that cross. That's his heart. And he wants us to have the same type of heart. Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, notice because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So this is the person who has the shallow heart. And they are concerned about a lot of things, and there's no root there. And so what happens is persecution comes. If persecution really occurred in this country, like I believe it's going to ha- uh, come, we would see a lot different church. We would see a, a t- church attendance would look entirely different. If persecution really came like it normally does in other countries where it really costs you something to follow Christ, we'd see a lot more people wanting to be, or a lot less people wanting to be pastors and leaders because those are the first people that are uh, attacked. We'd see a lot less people 
you know, wanting to put bumper stickers on their cars or the Christian fish or whatever because persecution comes and you pay a price for your faith. And I know by God's grace, any of us stand. But he says, tribulation or persecution arises, look, because of the word. Again, because of the seed. And, and that's what's being attacked is the word. Churches are totally, completely leaving the word of God being the ultimate standard and letting the culture become the standard of deciding what's true and what's false. And, and that makes it easier on them because when things get really bad, they won't get the persecution because they don't teach the things that are going to get them in trouble. But, but we have to. We have to preach all of Scripture. So it's very important that we see that. So there is the joy, but they endure only for a while. Verse 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The third kind of heart is the crowded heart where our hearts are preoccupied. You know, when you plant an, an acre of, I read this somewhere, when you plant an acre of seed, you use about 60 pounds of, of seed to sow an acre of ground. But in an average field where there's weeds and so forth, there's like 3,000 pounds of seeds of, of, of weeds and so forth and, and, and everything else. And so it's a perfect picture of our heart. Our heart can be very, very crowded because the cares of this world, and it, it means to be pulled in different directions. When Christ was in the middle of crowds, and he said that he was crowded out or the, the throngs of the people affected him. That's the same word that was used, as we see here, the, the, the choke there. And he becomes, notice again, becomes something, becomes unfruitful. doesn't mean that he was never fruitful. He says that he becomes unfruitful. Maybe some of us here today, we were very fruitful at one time. But we have allowed things to come into our lives and it's choked out the ministry of the word in our hearts and now our lives are not what God has called us to be and to do. And you know, he has so much compassion and hope and grace for us, but we still need to recognize our sin. We still need to recognize that we have allowed those things. What is the master passion of your life? If it's not God, anything other than God that's our master passion is idolatry. And in different parts of the New Testament, he says, flee from idolatry. And we think, oh, that's just the people that had the little statues and, you know, really had legitimate idols that you could carry around. But an idol can be anything. An idol can be a relationship. An idol can be a hobby. An idol can be what we focus most of our attention on. Jesus is very jealous. He's a jealous God. He wants that full attention put on him. And we can allow things to to crowd out. And, and he's, uh, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches, and that really hits close to home. Because we have a very prosperous nation, and, and we can think that we're struggling when really we live about 95% higher than the rest of this whole world. And he says there's a deceitfulness. What is the deceit? It's the deception that riches will bring fulfillment, and more riches will bring more fulfillment. Paul wrote to Timothy, and this is good for any because Timothy was a pastor, and it's good for any pastor, it's good for any believer, when he said, those who desire to be rich fall into a trap and a snare, and they pierce themselves through with, through, with many griefs. And, and so we have to be careful about that. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So we want to keep up with the Joneses or the Rodriguezes or whoever else is next door to us, and the grass is always greener on the other side until you have to fertilize it and take care of it and all of that. And, and you're, it's a mirage. It's deceitfulness to think that I'll, if I just have this, I'll be happy. If I just have this relationship, I'll be happy. And God wants to be to us first what we think that other person or thing will, will bring us. I can't be happy unless I'm in a relationship. That's not true. Paul didn't have relationships like that. And everybody has a different calling. He says, if possible, it's better to not even be married. But we know that most of us don't have that, haven't been given the gift of celibacy. But we, he doesn't want us distracted. He doesn't want things to compete against our, the full focus being on him. Because his, his priority, and we've seen this already, is fruitfulness. And he's going to get to that. Verse 23. 
But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The first thing I want to mention is that just like any seed, what it produces is always much more than what it is. When you plant a seed, an apple tree, you know, it ends up becoming much more in quantity than a seed. There's many apples, it's a, many branches, you know, uh, there's, there's much more to it. So it's, this, it's a perfect analogy. And I believe he made seeds with the word of God in mind, not the other way around. That's, that's just a picture of the spiritual, which is more important. So we, the word of God gets planted in, in our hearts and he wants it to produce fruit that's multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. He's not saying read one verse, do one good work. He's saying read a verse, let it change your life, and then let him do 10,000 works through it because his word is capable of producing that growth in us. I want you to see in verse 23 the word hears there is he who hears. That's in a tense of means continuous action. So it literally could be that he who received seed on the good ground is he who continuously hears the word and understands it. There's a, there's a, a habit, there's a lifestyle of hearing God's word and perceiving God's word, feeding God's word. Jesus equated the apostle Peter's love for him based on how he fed and tended the sheep. He didn't say, Peter, if you love me, multiply my sheep. He didn't say, Peter, if you love me, uh, you know, shame my sheep or condemn my sheep. Or he said, feed and tend my sheep. We need to be fed and we need to be feeding on God's word, not just on Sundays or at a Bible study, which is very important. We need to be feeding on the word of God all throughout the week. The Lord Jesus himself said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, none of us go usually skips a day of eating, right? And if we did, we wouldn't expect to be healthy. So why do we think that we're going to be spiritually healthy when we're not feeding on God's word on a daily basis? It's, it's a deception. It's not going to happen. Disciples take up their cross daily and follow him and commune with him and feed on him every single day because he's called us to live a supernatural life every single day and we cannot do it in the power of our own strength. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do Nothing. There you go. You finished it for me. Verse 24. Another parable. Now, before we move on, when he says another here at the beginning of these verses or these parables, it means another of the same kind. They have a word that says another of a different kind. Heteros. We get our word heterosexual from that. But there, this is the word alos, which means another of the same kind. So it's it's linking these together by saying another. He puts. He says he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So in the thorns that he talked about previously, those aren't really, those are just there. They're just, they represent just this world and the things that come in and compete against our growth and so forth. But these tares are something malicious that someone has intended for evil in our lives, and that's the enemy. And tares are darnel, darnel grass. And it only grows among other crops. It won't grow by itself. It's, a, it's interesting how that's true. And it's the same with tares. They only grow among God's people. In the beginning, this darnel grass looks just like wheat. You can't tell the difference. Looks just like wheat. But then when it grows up and it's fully mature, then you can see the difference and it, it produces a fungus and if you eat it you can get really really sick and so it's talking about the enemy coming by night and secretly sows these tares among the wheat and so these false believers God is warning us that, that the enemy is going to sow false believers among us you know the, the apostle Paul warned the leaders of the Ephesians, the elders of, of Ephesians, of Ephesus, I'm trying to say it right, on the island of Miletus, and he warned them, saying that men will come not sparing the flock, even among your own number, they will come and gather disciples for themselves. And didn't I warn you night and day for years with tears? 
So there, there is these false believers that Satan sows, and, and it's not just the fact that they're in the world, that's true, but they're among us. And, and so he's trying to warn us about that. And he says, but when the grain, verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Don't we ask that question? God, isn't your church supposed to be pure? Isn't, I mean, aren't, why does your church have things in it that isn't right? That it, the people that aren't legitimate. And he said, verse 28, to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. But let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So again, they look the same. Now, why would the enemy sow professors or false believers among us? Because of carnality, because sin, and he's going to get into it later with leaven in one of the parables. Um, sin is like leaven. It spreads. And that's why when someone is especially engaged in sexual immorality and they're unrepentant, that they're, we're told to remove them from the fellowship until they repent and then welcome them back in because sin is very, uh, it spreads like cancer. And so it, he, Satan knows that. There's always been the case, with even with Israel, you can't, when they're following the Lord and, say, and, and staying true to him, they can't be defeated from without. But they can be defeated from within with sin when they start compromising. And so the enemy knows that and he sows these false believers among us to infiltrate and so forth. And we have to be um, ready for that. Another parable, verse 31. He put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So again, another of the same kind parable. He's talking about the kingdom of God here. And he's talking about, uh, the, because the theme is the tares. He's already talking about those that infiltrate. And he's talking about malignant growth here. Because birds are always, and I don't know if you're a bird lover, don't take this personally, but the birds are, are a picture of the enemy in scripture. It's very consistent. And so it's saying that there's a malignant growth that occurs because of that which is false or that which is pretending to be legitimate that causes something to grow malignantly, the kingdom of God or what appears to be the kingdom of God, so that even birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And he continues that theme in verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. A leaven is always a picture of sin in the, in the Bible. It, Jesus said, warned about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's saying that the kingdom of heaven, that, that this is what happens, that the false comes among the true church and infiltrates and attempts to influence it through sin and and that's there's the danger associated with it verse 34 all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them so that's the first four parables now the last three is is for disciples he says verse 35 that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet saying i will open my mouth in parables I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So they had already asked, we know this from Mark, to explain the parable of the soils. But now they're asking to have the parable of the tares explained. And so he answered and said to them, he who sows the... This is funny to me because of you know, how blunt and direct Jesus is. You know, he's speaking through parables and he's just, he's, he's 
allowing people to understand, who have a heart to understand, and so forth. He's concealing things with people who do not have a heart for truth, and so forth. And when he wants to be just plain and simple and direct and blunt, he can do it. Because look, he just says, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, the tares are the sons of the wicked one, the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And he's just like plain as day, just explaining to them. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Again, that's the theme of these parables, warning against people that are full of sin, they're living in willful disobedience to God, and they they practice. Notice the word practice. It's not falling into sin and falling short and all of that. It's It's a habitual, regular thing that marks their life, who practice lawlessness, verse 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is one of seven times where Jesus uses this term, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And out of the 12 times that hell is referred to in the New Testament, Jesus uses it 11 out of the 12. Jesus spoke more of hell than he did about heaven. But you don't see that on Christian television, on some some teachers. You'd never know that God is going to send people to hell, that that there is going to be a judgment, that he's going to open the Lamb's Book of Life, and anyone's name who's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life is going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's no mention of that. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of sin. And and it's sad because there is real eternal consequences to how we receive Christ and how we receive his word. But notice what he says about us, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has has ears to hear, let him hear. At the transfiguration, Jesus unveiled himself a little bit and revealed him in his glory, not fully, but he did. And, and, and it also says that when we have our resurrected bodies, we will be like him. And the, and the new Jerusalem is when we went through the book of revelation, we saw all the, the, the translucent shapes and the, and the color that can reflect light and so forth. It's going to be so beautiful. We're going to be shining like the sun we're told in the kingdom of our Father. And he wants us to spiritually receive that. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So these people debate on, is this God looking at the treasure of the church and how much he treasures man? Or is this man looking at the kingdom of heaven and recognizing the opportunity to have communion with God and be a part of the kingdom of God and treasures the kingdom of God? I don't think you has to be one or the other. I think the kingdom of God is multifaceted. I think it's both. From scripture, you could make that case that God does love the world and he does treasure the church and he has laid down his life for the sheep and so forth. But also, when we have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that's perceptive, we understand by the Holy Spirit when that opportunity is laid out before us that this is an opportunity that we need to value, we will forsake everything and follow Christ. Why does it have to be one or the other? I think it's both. And he did speak this to disciples. Verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Have you understood these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think that, honestly? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they fully understood it just the first time that they, they heard that. I mean, I don't know. I'd be intimidated. That's, well, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I got it. You know, I don't know. But he, they say, Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, things new and old. 
He's not referring to scribe in a negative connotation. It's, it's a positive connotation. It's someone that has knowledge that people are coming to. And people come over the house and the person brings out the treasure of the knowledge and all that, that he can explain to them and teach them. And, and he's saying value that. Value that information. You understood it? Then value it and be ready to share it. And that's the same for us. He's called us to be ready to share everything that we've learned. Sometimes a new Christian will question whether or not a, a person that's sharing with them and discipling them is going to tell them everything that they need to know. And it's so funny because as the person that want, wants them to grow, you're going, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. I'm going to give you everything I know. Why would I want to hold everything back? It doesn't help me anymore for you to know less. <laughs> it helps me more. It gives me more joy. It, it, it blesses the Lord. I'm not going to hold anything back. And that's what God has called us to. So as I close, what kind of heart do we have? A hard heart? A shallow heart? A crowded heart? We could have a combination of all three. But the, the, the thing, if, if the Lord is convicting you right now, and the Lord is showing you that your heart is not where it needs to be, there's hope for you. He just doesn't show you that your heart isn't right and then leave you in that condition. He has the solution for it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to minister as only you can right now. And right now, as, I'm, as we're continuing an attitude of prayer, those of you that, that need Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him today. You may believe in God. You may have been religious or are religious. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may be under understanding in your mind that Jesus died on the cross for mankind's sins. But what you haven't done is you haven't repented of your sin. You haven't been born again. You haven't had a spiritual birth by trusting in what Jesus did for you on the cross alone to pay your way to heaven. You haven't turned in the, in the, made a U-turn in the road of life and turned to God and surrendered your life to him. And, and, and you want to do that now. And I want to pray for you. If that's you today, why don't you raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Is anybody here? One hand, two hands. Anyone else? Okay, three hands. Anyone else? You want to receive Christ today. You want your sins forgiven. You're not joining this church by doing this. We'd love to have you be a part of our church if that's what God's calling you to do. But this is between you and him. And whether we ever see you again is between him and you. And salvation is something you receive as a gift. You can't earn a gift. If you wanted to give me money for something that I wanted to give you as a gift, not only would it offend me, but it would cease to be a gift. You cannot earn salvation. Over and over again, it's referred to as a gift. So God wants you to receive that gift by faith, by asking for it right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just repeat after me. There's nothing magical about my words or anything like that. God's looking at your heart. All he's looking for is sincerity. So if you can agree with what I'm saying and you mean it in your heart, God will hear your prayer and he will save you. So repeat out loud after me. You're making a public profession of faith. We need to hear you. So repeat after me. Father, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've been less than perfect. And I've sinned against you. I ask you now for forgiveness of my sins. I trust in what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. I believe he took the wrath that I deserved. I believe he died and rose again the third day. And I turn from the way that I've been living and I turn to you. Make me into the person you want me to be. Fulfill the plan that you have for me. I ask you for the free gift of eternal life now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these three that have trusted in you. You've seen their hearts. You said that if anyone knocks at the door, or if, or if I knock at the door and anyone lets me in, I will come in to them and dine with them. You said that you would answer that prayer, Lord. And I pray that you would encourage them, help them to know that how valid their salvation is is not based on what they feel or what they don't feel. 
that your word says you would come in if they ask, and they've asked. So thank you, Lord, for saving them. Thank you for forgiving them of their sins and giving them a new life and helping them to realize the plan that you have for them as that unfolds day by day. Protect them from the enemy, Lord. Protect them from the attacks of the enemy. Give them a supernatural love for your word. We pray that they'd be faithful among your people, consistent, learning all the things they're supposed to learn and obeying all the things that you speak to them to obey. I pray, Lord, that they would be rooted deeply in you to bear fruit for all eternity, fruit that remains. We thank you for saving them today. We pray that you would come upon them by your spirit, baptizing them with your Holy Spirit, overflowing them with your Holy Spirit. And help us to know, Father, how to reach out to them and love them and help them in any way that we can, as long as you give us the opportunity. We thank you and we yield it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.